Readings talk number three. The title of this talk is Enlightenment of the Heart. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment and put ourselves in the presence of the Blessed Trinity. Come Holy Spirit, Father of the poor, enlighten our minds and our hearts. Lead us into the fullness of the truth. Lead us to Jesus. Our Lady, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. All right, the enlightenment of the heart. So there's a beautiful passage in the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians that was almost ruined by a popular praise and worship song. But no praise and worship song can ever ruin the scripture. And that praise and worship song may have grown on me just a little bit over the years, but still not to the point where I think it's going to uh, help me to pray. See if you can see which song it is after I read you this verse. So it's Ephesians 1, 118, but I'm going to start with verse 16. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you to, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power in us who believe, according to the working of his great might, which he accomplished in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him sit at the right hand of heavenly places. And it goes on to praise Christ. So that, that phrase, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. All right, so that's the song. Um, but this phrase so beautiful to open the eyes of our heart. Sorry, that's the praise and worship song. The, the, <laughs> the scripture is having the eyes of your heart enlightened. The eyes of your hearts to be enlightened. So light, faith is a light. Faith is also an act, but the two go together. And in the Western church, it seems like faith as an act has been stressed over the centuries. And perhaps that was one of the reasons Pope Benedict wrote Lumen Fidei, faith, the light of faith, as a way to bring us back to this reception of the light, this enlightening, uh, this unveiling of the reality that's before us so that we can see. And when we can see, then we can know. When we know, we can act. And when we act, we're going to want to see all the more and receive more light. And that light causes us to act in a way more in accordance with the gospel, more in accordance with the will of God. So this talk will be focusing on this, this enlightenment of the heart. So we saw yesterday the first, uh, the first way of this Faith as a birth, the birthing process of faith. 
And we talked about keeping the commandments, the loving obedience to the word of God that allows faith to take hold of our heart so we can be sincere of heart, align ourselves with the gospel. Today we're going to talk about that second kind of road, the access to the heart, the way of the heart. St. Gregory of Nyssa is said to have discovered this in a clear way and spoke, spoke uh, very, very well of this way. He did mystical theology. And we have a certain scripture passages too that speak of the heart and speak of seeing. There's the sixth beatitude, Matthew 5, 8, I believe it is. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And then we have 1 John 3, starting with verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall understand fully, even as if I have been fully understood. So to see him face to face. Three ways to, to see God, three ways to have this total unfolding, this enlightenment of the heart. One, the way of wisdom. Two, to see God face to face. Three, to know God within us. This first way, the way of wisdom that comes from the creator. Just as art gives access to the artist, it reveals who the artist is, albeit in a mysterious way, perhaps. So creation leads to the creator. It reveals something about the creator. And this leads to wisdom, real wisdom of, of life, receiving the reality around us, around us allows us with time and with following the promptings of the Holy Spirit, it's going to raise us uh, to metaphysical truths, to truths that go beyond the physical world, that are going to uh, give us light on who the Creator is. It gives us a sense. Now, it gives us a sense that this has been done by someone. However, it's not yet to that personal encounter. And thus, the people from other religions and the pagans and all that, they can, have, they can really say profound things that are quite in line often with uh, what we believe of the Trinity, what we believe of God, what Revelation has given us. But often they have a lot of difficulty to come to this... Um, 
this personal, personal encounter. And if it is personal in some way, then it seems that that would have to be God's grace working, revealing um, in a mysterious way, though not fully revealing himself explicitly. Um, but anyway, that's a, that's a big topic that can be for another day, how, how that all works out and be interesting to see what, how the church has spoke about that over the years, what the saints have said, what Vatican II has said about um, how God enlightens those um, that are, don't have explicitly the faith. Anyway, but that's the first way of, the way to see God, this way of wisdom, and that's for all of us to, to, be, <laughs> to be grounded in reality, to be open to, and to have a certain way of living that opens us up in wonder to the creation that surrounds us, to, to ponder things, to have those moments of silence, of solitude, of activities that refresh us and give us energy, and then kind of naturally the mind is going to uh, be more active and have more energy to uh, seek out uh, this kind of weight of, of uh, the questions of depth, the perennial questions of, that are always upon us. We're all philosophers in that sense. Uh, you know, what is the meaning of life? Uh, what happens after death? Who is God? How can I know him? Etc. Though we have the revelation of God, uh, we have the privilege. We have the privilege of that. But this natural way of the mind that's always seeking out to its creator, that's always um, uh, trying to go further in true knowledge and true wisdom, is that's going to meet beautifully with revelation and uh, and really integrate all our life, our psychological, our uh, mental, our body, uh, spiritual, etc. But for us who have been given revelation, um, we know too that we will see God face to face. This is what 1 Corinthians 13 and 1 John 3 are speaking about. We will see God face to face. And that's especially fully in heaven. There's beautiful passages of Moses who... At times it says he spoke to God face to face, and other times it says that he couldn't, he couldn't see God face to face because you have to die before you see God face to face. So depending on what the author was trying to, trying to uh, show in those passages, with, when he was face to face, that deep intimacy that Moses had, and then also at that other time where he can't see God face to face because he has to really see God face to face in the fullest of the sense that can't happen while we're alive. And so there's that, the way of seeing God, yes, at our death, totally face-to-face -face unveiled. So today we're going to look at this third way of seeing God, which is the way of imminence. The way we see God within. So Luke 7.21 now, this is a passage that has always struck me and that I've always been very interested to hear what biblical scholars say or what biblical commentators say or spiritual writers and the saints because it's a whole big, um, big field out there with this. 
And this this passage too, Luke seven twenty one. Um, wait a second, sorry. Is it seventeen twenty one? Yes, seventeen twenty one. Sorry. So Luke seventeen twenty one. All right, so my translation, this is what it says. Behold, here it is. There, behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And then it has a little note where it says, instead of translating in your midst, you can say within you. And so this verse has been, yeah, it's been big for me because when I came back to the church because let's just say I was kind of a nominal Catholic then I had a stint in the Protestant church and then and then I kind of left everything altogether and I knew something was missing so I have this kind of hard arduous journey back to the faith going through all kinds of different routes um, and exploring even other religions and especially the East and all that and then I was very into, into that stuff, into spirituality. And then little by little, I start to come back to the faith. I start reading scripture again. Um, I start praying again. And so this was kind of a big light for me. That yes, the kingdom of God is within. I really like that translation. The kingdom of God is within you. Okay, yes, I can deal with that. Some of the other aspects I had trouble with, especially so many questions with scripture, etc. But this, yes, the kingdom of God is within you. And I had to wrestle with that um, as we go because, and then as I came fully back into the Catholic Church, um, that's when I kind of saw that, ah, that translation isn't really good and it can, all the New Agers and all the, all the others can really grab that scripture and say, see, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is within you. All you need is to go deep within and do your transcendental meditation or do your mindfulness or all these things and you'll be enlightened. You'll become one with God or absorbed into the cosmos or whatever it is. You will have nirvana. You'll be enlightened. And so then I kind of got sketchy about that and I said, oh, no, I like the other translation better. Behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst, Jesus says. Um, so this is after, you know, Jesus is, let's go back to verse 20 on that. Being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, behold, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. I really started liking that. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus was in their midst. That makes sense. Jesus is the kingdom of God. Heaven is Jesus. And so I thought that translation is, is really good. That makes sense. Christ is in their midst. He is there. Now this within. So from what I understand, it's the Greek. It's the Greek that can really go both ways on that. And... Um, Father John of the Seneca was saying that the Greek actually it goes towards the way of imminence, that the kingdom of God is within you. Whatever it is, I'm not a scholar on that, I don't know Greek, 
Um, I hold the two together for sure because it's beautiful to hold the two together. That Jesus is in our midst. The kingdom of God is, is in our midst. And in other parts, he does say, yes, the kingdom of God will come with signs, that it will come with wonders. It's, it's going to have external factors. But also, there is for sure this imminence. The kingdom of God is within. And we see that all through scripture. That it's, yes, the kingdom of God is in our midst. The kingdom of God is within. So that's what we'll be reflecting on together here. This, this way of imminence. This way of the heart, this enlightenment of the heart, of knowing that God is within. Remember, we're made in the image and likeness of God. Adam and Eve is, that is, that is the first creatures. Now they lose the likeness of God through sin, and we lose it as well, through original sin. We will never lose the, the fact that we are, being ma- we are made in the image of God. But it's this likeness that needs to be restored. It's being in the likeness of God that needs to be restored. There was an interesting little tangent in our retreat on, well, it wasn't tangent, it was related, but it was about Henri de Lubac, who is a theologian of the 20th century, one of the greats. Um, But he got in trouble with the church, especially in the 50s, I think it was, um, because of his book, uh, The Supernatural. And I don't know all the details about the controversy, and even if I did, I don't know if I'd be able to explicitate it uh, so clearly. Um, But what it seems to be is his thesis well, not his thesis, what, he, what he's trying to show that is in the scriptures and what the church fathers teach and taught is that the supernatural is the most natural. The supernatural is not something that's added to the natural. The natural is what we have in common with God because it is Christ. Christ is the true humanity. Christ is our true humanity. And so it's natural. And so this way, the supernatural and the natural go together. And there's Gaudium et Spes, um, chapter or paragraph 22. I'm going to read a bit of that. In reality, it is only the mystery of the word made flesh that the mystery of man truly becomes clear. For Adam, the first man, was a type of him who was to come. Christ the Lord. Christ the new Adam in the very revelation of the mystery of the Father and His love. It is no wonder, then, that all truths mentioned so far should find in Him their source and their most perfect embodiment. So the mystery of man is fulfilled in Christ. That's who we find, who we truly are. goes on to say, He who is the image of the invisible God is himself the perfect man who has restored in the children of Adam that likeness to God, which has been disfigured ever since the first sin. Human nature, by the very fact that it was assumed, not absorbed in him, has been raised in us to the dignity beyond compare. 
For by his incarnation, he, the Son of God, has in a certain way united himself with each man. He worked with his human hands. He thought with a human mind. He acted with a human will. And with a human heart he loved. Born of the Virgin Mary, he has truly been made one of us, like to us in all things except sin. And finally, by the Spirit who is the pledge of our inheritance, the whole man is inwardly renewed, right up to the redemption of the body. This inward renewal, it's Christ who restores us to the likeness of God. So it's in Him that we find everything that's pure, everything that's natural, and at the same time, and in the same stroke that can never be divided, we are raised to a supernatural reality that is beyond uh, what we can imagine. Now, I forgot to mention that it's, it's good to go back to know what the heart is in the biblical sense. You've probably heard this before, but always a good reminder that it's different from the way we speak of heart in our modern language. The heart in the scripture is about the center of the person. It's about who you truly are in your essence, your depths, the center of the person, where thoughts, emotions, choices, all that intersects. Everything in you intersects is who you are, the heart of the person. So this is what is to be enlightened. This is, this is the, the way of the heart. Enlightenment is a very beautiful word. There's also another one that I liked quite a bit that uh, kept coming up on this retreat. It's an unveiling. The unveiling. There's a veil between us and reality. Reality and supernatural reality. And when that veil is lifted, the eyes of who we truly are in our depths are enlightened. It's unveiled. Reality is unveiled before us. This unveiling, it's in a metaphysical way. It raises us beyond physical realities, but still grounds us in reality. And there it allows us to discover what's always been there. And we discover who we are in Christ and who Christ is for us. Christ who is in our midst, Christ who is within All right, so our meditation today. I'm sorry, first I'm going to actually get warmed up for this meditation by reading a little bit of the scripture passage, which goes on what we were just speaking about. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Sorry, did I say 1 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. 
Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not see the end of the fading splendor. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Only through Christ is the veil taken away. And whoever somebody is that's had uh, a certain, that way of wisdom that's on the way of wisdom, or maybe they've received revelation from God as the Jewish people did, that it's only in Christ that the fullness of that truth is unveiled. And the revelation comes to us. And all the the deepest questions of our hearts, the desires of our heart uh, become known to us. So we're going to continue with that passage there. The verse, the passage is 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to chapter 4, verse 6. So 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 4, 6. There's a few questions to ask during the meditation. This is for you to personalize it. It's for you to, it's the most, this is especially for you to have that heart to heart, to speak to God from the heart. Here's a few questions that can point you and that can help. First, ask for the grace to see what is already there. Ask for that enlightenment of the heart. Or ask for that unveiling. Secondly, renounce all underhanded ways. Renounce by your act of the will, an act of the heart, to renounce anything that is insincere, anything that's not in line of the truth, in any way that you are, in any way that you think, in any way that you, that you act. Renounce all underhanded, insincere ways. Thirdly, speak to God heart to heart. No veils. In the sincerity of your heart. And always remember to rest in God afterwards. Just be with him in his presence. No need to say anything. Have a good meditation. See you in a few days.